welcome to the Anxious in Austin podcast. Um, I am Dr. Marianne Stout. I'm Dr. Thomas Smithyman. We are here with the Anxiety Treatment Center of Austin in Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, and we a have a very, very special, special <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah, very special episode. So do you want to tell us about what we're going to hear, Yeah, yeah. So, so, uh, so we actually have a guest on today who is going to be... Um, basically giving a keynote address <laughs> so uh, I went to a, a conference recently and uh, Sarah was the keynote speaker and um, honestly the, the, it, it was just so good Aww. it was so good and it got it so much that I, I think encapsulates what happens with the experience of anxiety and, and OCD and the treatment process and what it's like to go through it and push through it successfully and um, it was really inspirational even as a provider it was really inspirational so it is the first time I've seen a standing ovation at an anxiety (laughs) conference so after that I immediately went up and said what did you think about coming on our podcast because the people that listened I could tell were really affected and I thought, wouldn't it be great if this could be heard by more than the people that happen to be in, at this conference today? So, um, that, so I'm, you know, Sarah said yes, and then I'm like, a month later, are you sure <laughs> you want to do this? <laughs> She's still sure, and so, so here we are, Thank and you. I'm very, very excited to, to introduce Sarah. I'm, I'm excited for Marianne to, yeah, I haven't heard to, it. to hear this as well. Well, welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much. I'm really, um, I'm just really honored to be here and asked to do this. I had so much doubt going into this, and I, even up to the the morning of the conference, I was like, why did I say yes? (laughs) I don't know why I said I would do this, and I'd never given a keynote speech before. I had no idea what I was doing, and so I just thought, well... This may be my only chance to just tell the whole story, so I did. <laughs> and here I am again, telling it again. Um, so yeah, so thank you for that introduction. That was very kind. Um, I still don't know what to do with all the kindness that people mm-hmm. have been showing me. Um, so yeah, <laughs> it's, um, it's a lot to take in. Sure. But, um, yeah, it's something I, I will never forget. That's just one of the best days of my life. Oh, oh that's it? Yeah. Oh, that's great. So, um, I guess I will just yeah. start. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah Um, <clears throat> I can see now that I've had obsessive-compulsive tendencies since I was a kid, but I have one very vivid memory of where this portion of my OCD journey began. I'm in some aisle in an HEB, and something doesn't feel right. My brain seems to be in some combination of spinning and running a mile a minute. I'm scared and I feel like crying and I don't know why. I pass a mother pushing her toddler in a basket. I don't understand it, but for some reason, I don't want to look at this baby. Every fiber of my being is screaming, run away. But I move my eyes up from the floor and I look at this adorable, dark-headed, chubby-legged baby and the word molester pops into my head. I thought my life was ending 
right there in that H-E-B. I thought this was a moment that the sexual abuse I suffered as a child was coming back to get me. I thought I was over it. I thought I'd taken those memories of violations and locked them in a closet deep in my mind. I'd been living with shame and guilt, but there was one thing that paralyzed me, the thing I'd heard my whole life. Kids who get molested turn out to be molesters too. I figured that I'd been lying to myself all these years, and I really was damaged beyond repair. This was the moment that I'd been dreading for most of my life. My brain finally hit a switch that turned me into the one thing I feared becoming more than anything else. I spent the rest of the grocery trip in a fog, completely trapped in my head, thinking no one else has these thoughts and trying to hold back tears. I got home and started crying. I thought maybe this would all be over the next day. I woke up each day and checked to see if the fear and the thoughts were still there, but they wouldn't go away and they just kept getting more intense and more vile and disturbing. You're going to be a molester ran nonstop in my head like some kind of perverse tape loop experiment. Seeing children on TV and in my everyday life would send a wave of panic through me along with the most horrible phrases and images. The theme of the thoughts was constantly expanding, running the gamut of paraphilias. At one point, I caught a glimpse of my cat's butt and got the feeling of panic, and sure enough, I feared I was going to molest my cat. I can laugh at this now. It seems so absurd to even say it out loud, but at the time, it felt very real. Images in my head of me harming children and adults and my family members and cats and dogs combined with the intense feelings of panic in my body made me think, well, this is my new molester brain taking over. And these thoughts and body feelings are clearly signs of attraction. By the end of the week, I had made a decision. If this is who I am now, then I'm just going to end it. I have to end it because I can't live life if I'm a monster. I didn't actually want to do the deed of killing myself, but I also really didn't want to keep waking up each morning just to live another day in this hell. I tried making my world as small as it could be so I could just get through it. I didn't go outside if I didn't have to. I stopped listening to music, reading books, watching TV, because everything seemed like it was going to trigger another bad thought, and I had to stop the thoughts. My phone became another appendage. I googled everything. My physical symptoms, what these thoughts might be, how to know if you are really a bad person, how to know if you're going to hurt children, the statistics on how many victims of childhood sexual abuse go on to victimize others, No matter how many times I would try to come at these thoughts rationally, a new what-if would inevitably pop up. I would wake up each morning, and if the bad thoughts didn't immediately pop into my head, I would think I was going to have a good day. But then a thought would pop up, and I would spend the rest of the day ruminating about it. Sometimes I would look up and see that the sun was setting, and I had lost an entire day to rumination. Google had become like a frenemy to me, a gift and a curse. But thanks to Google, I kind of figured out that what I was experiencing was anxiety-related. 
Thanks also to Google, I was convinced that I could DIY a solution. I've got these online forums and ebooks and YouTube videos. I just need to try really hard and keep reading. Of course, that was a front. What I didn't want to admit was that I felt that if I got a therapist, if I asked for help, then it solidifies the fact that I am certifiably 100% a crazy person. It was my husband who finally made the call to someone to try and get me some help. On top of the OCD, I was having flashbacks to the abuse. So not knowing where to begin, we called a place that dealt with sexual assault. And three days later, I found myself being buzzed into the waiting room of Safe Place in Austin. For the first time in my life, I told a stranger that I'd been molested. Up to this point, the only person who really knew a big chunk of the details was my husband. My own mother didn't even know the full extent. I never even said the words molested or raped or sexual abuse before this moment in this intake office at Safe Place. The counselor I spoke to at Safe Place looked at me with such tenderness, and I thought up to that point, the only way people would look at me after hearing what, I'd, what had been done to me would be with fear or disgust. I left Safe Place feeling relief that someone believed me, that someone was kind to me about it, and maybe I could talk to someone who wouldn't shame me and who could help me. Seven months after that day in HEB, I was finally going to see a therapist. When I think of my first therapist, I think of the afternoon light streaming through the old oak tree limbs and through the blinds of her office, her gentle way of speaking, her bookshelf from which she let me borrow books from time to time. It is pure comfort and happiness. Her specialty was somatic experiencing. The goal of somatic experiencing is to bring awareness to tension in the body, how and where you feel it, and to learn how to release that tension. I remember a lot of exercises where I would bring up a memory and I sort of zoomed in to where I was feeling fear or anxiety in my body. I stayed in that moment, in that memory, feeling everything while my therapist was guiding me through, helping me reframe how I was viewing the abuse. So much of my panic surrounding my trauma was tied to feeling like I was complicit. My therapist showed me that I was a child dealing with serious trauma, and my brain and my body did what they had to do to survive. Maybe it meant I froze. Maybe it meant I ran, or I lied, or I hid. Or maybe it meant I went numb and disassociated and have these black spots where memory should be. It was the first time someone really explained to me that our bodies do things that we do not control. Still, I never actually told this therapist about the intrusive thoughts. I danced around it and would say I had some anxiety, but I was sure if I told her what was going on in my head, she would report me to someone. I slowly started to live again. The thoughts were becoming less intense. I thought that soon I would be in the clear, that I was sending those horrible thoughts back to hell where they belonged. I started volunteering at Safe Place, hoping to give back to the people who helped me so much. I joined the peer support group. 
It's a group of men and women who identify as survivors of abuse. And we held meetings once a week for the shelter residents. We had an instant deep connection with each other after one meeting. Some of us were sexual abuse survivors, some human trafficking survivors, some domestic violence survivors, some all of the above. Some of us also had anxiety and depression. There wasn't a meeting that went by where someone didn't say, me too, I thought I was the only one. One of the first meetings we held in the shelter ended with one of the residents feeling embarrassed after being told that she possibly had depression. When she said that, three of us went, oh, I have that too. There's no shame in that. The smile on her face, watching that burden lift off of her, it was one of those magical moments that reminds you why you're doing what you're doing. It felt like we were collectively breaking down stigma after stigma. But something darker was creeping in that I didn't want to admit was there. I was glad the residents felt safe enough with us to share their truth, but I was finding that I couldn't handle it, especially when it came to them talking about the abuse their children suffered. I would sob and hyperventilate the entire 20 minutes it took me to get home, a barrage of horrible images pounding my brain. Even after a few days break from the shelter, I felt myself getting sad and crying for no reason. My brain was doing that spinning thing again. It was happening again. My first breakdown, for lack of a better term, was bad, but this second one was horrifyingly bad. My memory of this time is me shaking with fear, not eating, not sleeping. If I could fall asleep, having nightmares so bad I didn't want to go to sleep at all. I was becoming a vibrating shell of a person, out of touch with anything in the present. I only waited four months this time before making an appointment with the Anxiety Treatment Center of Austin. While I loved my first therapist, I thought I needed someone different, someone who specifically deals with anxiety disorders. When I told this new therapist about what I was dealing with, she spoke to me with such compassion like she understood the pain I was in and felt truly sorry that I was dealing with it. Even though I was pretty sure the thoughts in my head were due to an anxiety disorder, I was still worried that the new therapist would confirm all my worst fears, that she would say, oh no, this is totally a perverted mind, we gotta lock you up. Instead, I could finally stop guessing. I suffer from obsessive compulsive disorder, specifically a form of harm OCD. I don't remember much of what I talked about at the beginning as I was in such a fog, but I found journal entries from around that time that kind of sums it up. I feel like I've lost my brain. I feel I've lost myself. I feel I've lost my life. I'm just a shell of a person, and that person is a bad person, a monster. She doesn't deserve the love everyone gives her. That's really how I feel, like a bad person who doesn't deserve happiness and love. I'm tired. I feel like a burden and like a useless human being. I'm the most loathsome person on the planet. I don't know how I can live with myself. I'm trying, but I just don't know how I can go on and experience normal life knowing that I had these terrible thoughts and not knowing if these terrible thoughts are just a glitch in my brain or really truly me. 
My therapist didn't even blink when I told her about my thoughts, but I still felt so ashamed. I still believed that these intrusive thoughts said something about who I was and what I was capable of. We started doing exposure and response prevention, ERP. My only concept of exposure therapy was from the Maury show where they'd be like, Lisa here is afraid of snakes. Tell us about that, Lisa. And the whole time someone was behind her about to dump a bucket of snakes on her. So I thought they were going to put me in a room with naked babies or something, and I was not interested. This sounded terrible. One of the earliest exposures I did was to watch Friday Night Lights because I'd been avoiding it because it had kids and teenagers in it. And while watching an episode once, I caught a glimpse of like a kid's butt and thought, oh my God, did I do that on purpose? What does it mean that I looked at a kid's butt? Why did I look at a kid's butt? What if this means I'm attracted to children? What if it means I'm a monster? What if, what if, what if? So now since I told my therapist about this, I had to purposefully watch this show and look at all the kid butts. Specifically just butts, looking at all the butts until I'm sick of looking at the butts and bored with the butts. Now Friday Night Lights is also one of my favorite shows. As we moved up the chain of intensifying exposures, I had to go to a playground and sit and watch children. I was timing myself and tracking my subjective units of distress, or SUDs. So it's going from looking at kids to being all scared and furiously writing in this notepad, and the combination of all this was not helping my self-image. I was sure some parent was going to come up to me and say, um, the children think you're being creepy, and what's on your notepad? What are suds? Is that some sort of pervert lingo? So up until a very short time ago, I was... 100% convinced that my OCD was going to disappear completely. ERP was working really well for me, and I was sure that if I kept up, OCD would go away forever. Like it was some demon that needed to be exercised, and ERP was the holy water. I refused to believe that thoughts I was having just pop into the heads of quote-unquote normal people. My therapist would say, everyone has thoughts like this. And I would say, oh, okay, but in my head think, I don't believe you. I believe that somehow I was different, that I was broken, and would continue to be a bad person if these thoughts kept coming up. At one point, my therapist said to me, it seems like you think you're not normal if you have these thoughts. We need to address your concept of normal. I don't think you're accepting the existence of OCD. And I was like, first of all, how did you get in my head? How dare you? And second of all, yes, you are 100% correct. We started doing what I now know is called acceptance and commitment therapy or ACT. It began with a mindfulness practice, something that made zero sense to me at the time. Watch the thoughts go by like clouds in the sky. What does that even mean? I read in one book, you can't stop the waves, but you can learn how to surf which simultaneously pissed me off and made me feel totally hopeless. I wanted the waves to stop. I did not want to hear that they were not going to ever stop. I would read mindfulness books and practice meditations and hear what my therapist was saying, but I still thought, yeah, but y'all are talking about normal thoughts and you haven't had thoughts like mine. But I kept doing the meditations and I kept practicing mindfulness And somewhere along the way, things started clicking. I started attending the Anxious and Austin group, 
and in some kind of happy accident, themes from group and my one-on-ones kept intersecting and building on each other. At the same time that my therapist and I were really focusing on acceptance and non-judgment in our one-on-one sessions, we started doing exercises in group on thoughts, metacognitions, as one of the group therapists likes to call them. The goal of these exercises was to watch our minds work, to watch the thoughts pop up. We were trying to be active observers, to use the analogy from one of the therapists. In the play running in our minds, we were audience members. We watch the play, but we don't get up to direct it. One day I was driving along and listening to a podcast, and one of those bad thoughts popped up into my head. For the first time ever, I finally said, Oh, I did not choose to think that. That thought came from a trigger. I don't have to take the bait and grab the thought and try to change it. This is just a thing my brain does sometimes. I was going back to my one-on-ones with my therapist like, I finally understand all those things you've been talking about. It took me two years for all of this to begin to start making sense. My therapist and I transitioned to working on loving kindness. The idea was that I would learn to have some compassion for myself, learn to accept myself as I was, but I just refused to do that. I didn't feel worthy of compassion. But at the same time, I was watching my fellow Anxious and Austin group members beat themselves up and sidestep all the positive they'd done. I'm looking at them like, dude, y'all are killing it. Y'all are so brave and you don't even know. There were times I wanted to wrap them up in my arms and try to convince them they were so much better than they thought. I wish they could see themselves like the rest of us saw them. And I kept thinking of those tender, caring looks the therapist would give us when we were hurting, and it kind of came to me. These doctors can basically read my mind, and they don't look at me like I'm a horrible person. I think I'm okay. Maybe I am okay. I don't think there's been one specific moment where I've thought to myself, I'm doing this successfully. I'm living fully with OCD. But every now and then, I get new revelations. I started working with a new personal trainer. As we were wrapping up one day, he said, I can't wait to meet your husband. If he's as nice as you, this is going to be great. And I was like, me? Nice? I've been told I'm intimidating and scare people. Two days later, I was doing my regular volunteering shift at the Austin Resource Center for the Homeless. I help out in the kitchen serving dinner, and I've gotten to know the residents who work there pretty well. During a lull, two of the kitchen guys chat with me, and they say, can you tell you're our favorite? I was like, what are you talking about? And they said, yeah, it's your upbeat and positive personality. And again, I'm thinking, what? I'm nice, upbeat, positive? Who are these people talking about? Because it's not me. I was so confused. I couldn't stop thinking about the image I had of me and the one people had of me. Maybe my trainer said I was nice because despite having this background of anxiety pulsating through me, I was chatty and made jokes and thanked him. The dudes at the shelter said I was their favorite because I took the time to learn their names. I asked them about their day and thanked them for what they did. I'm not saying all this to say, look how much people love me, but to say that I did the things that are important to me, like making sure people know they are appreciated and valued and making people laugh. OCD was there the whole time. And while it normally stops me from interacting with the world, somehow I bypassed it. I reached out 
and I tried to love. The core of me is not OCD. But I can see now that I was going to be a tough nut to crack, and things had to work themselves out in layers. If it weren't for somatic experiencing, I wouldn't have reconnected with my body and learned to honor the young girl who fought really hard to survive. If it weren't for ERP, I wouldn't have learned that it is okay to be scared, that I can survive being scared, that I can meet those fearful things head on and come out the other side. If it weren't for ACT, I wouldn't have discovered my capacity for compassion, compassion for others, for myself, for this disorder that lives in my brain. I wouldn't have learned how to like myself, how to be okay with myself, with OCD tagging along beside me. If it weren't for the Anxious in Austin group, I wouldn't have learned how to hold my head up when I walk or that I can be scared and still do the darn thing. I'm telling this story at the tail end of a month that's been hard. Caught myself doing checking compulsions, checking compulsions. I've been ruminating, been consumed with doubt. I don't know if any of what I'm saying makes sense. I don't know if this is helpful. I don't know what people may say about me. But it was more important that I reach out and let even just one person know, you're not the only one. If spilling my secrets could make even one person say, well, at least I don't have that form of OCD, I'll take it. I'm learning every day, and I cannot even believe that I'm going to say this, that you really cannot stop the waves. Sometimes those waves are going to knock you off your board. Then one day you're able to stand up on the board. Then one day you have a little bit of balance. Then one day you surf a big wave. One day your therapist may be standing on the beach next to you saying, see that wave? Chase it. Then one day you'll find yourself looking straight on at the gnarliest wave. Maybe you'll feel that same body tensing panic. Maybe you want to turn around and go home. But you'll start running toward the wave and you'll get on your board and you'll hold on. Oh my goodness, Sarah. Wow, I see why you got a standing ovation. That's impressive. Well, thank you. That was amazing. That was really beautiful. Oh, this is affecting a second time through. No. <laughs> wow, wow. Yeah, I feel like this is so great too since we got to know you in the group. Yeah. Um, like, we got to see part of the story, and so yeah, nice to kind of put it in context too. Yeah, and you can see the bigger story because you know, it, it's hard in group because I didn't know how to talk about the form of OCD that I struggle with. I think that's a common piece in group. Yeah, yeah, because everybody's struggling with something different, and coming out and saying, "Hey, I have these weird thoughts in my head about kids." You know. You know, it's hard to say that. It's hard to, even people who understand and are going through anxiety, it's all, we all have different shades of it. So I didn't ever fully share a lot about what I was dealing with because I just was afraid. Sure, sure. That makes a ton of sense. Well, I think it shows, like, how brave you are <laughs> to be able to do it. And I think so much of, like, what you're talking about is that resiliency, like the willingness to try, mm-hmm. right? And even when things are difficult, to, like, try again. This, I don't understand this, but I'm going to try. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of how I approached a lot of this. And also, like, I'm going to try this type of treat. Yeah. And that has some value, and then I'm going to try this type. Yeah. And then I'm going to try this type. Like, I mean, 
Yeah. And you'd be willing to go to a bunch of different places. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm lucky enough that I have money to do that and time. Um, but, I mean, I, you know, and also, you know, I've heard terrible stories from people who are like, oh, this therapist, this and that. And sure. You know, not not everyone is great at their job. And so that was another reason I didn't want to go <laughs> for a long time was, yeah. what if this person blames me? What if this person, mm. you know, so... I got really lucky in that I have just found amazing therapists. Like, every single one of them has been so great, including you two. <laughs> so, Thank you. I, yeah, it's, I don't know if it's just luck or what, um, but yeah, all four that I've seen have been amazing. Well, I will never forget on the time, <laughs> the one time we've tried to do off-site exposure work <laughs> in group. And it was just me. <laughs> and everyone <laughs> convenient, like, Everyone's you know, walk around them that time. Yeah. That nobody <laughs> could make it. I, I also, I Even also Thomas was it. so anxious. <laughs> I was also not there. He so, couldn't yeah. go. Yeah, so it was weird that people who, like, don't have jobs had a job <laughs> yeah. that night, you know, like, I kept looking around and thinking, did I? And yeah, an so email? Am I like, the wrong it place? It can't just be me. <laughs> and it was. speaks to something, right? That, well, that's what I mean. I think yeah. that like, resiliency piece to, like, to try, right? Yeah. Like, is such a great prognosis. Like, it makes a huge difference. Yeah, I was really hoping other people would be there so that I could get a break <laughs> and watch someone else do an exposure. But no, it was just me. Doing it around again. Around again. <laughs> I hope Marianne, you were doing some exposures too. I, I hope. Do. Right? I, I, I think I talked. Okay. You know, like yeah, yes, like refuse. Yeah. I'm sure I like. Yeah, you were definitely um, Yeah, setting an example and yeah, I try not to like just throw people to the yeah. Walls. That's no, she terrible. was. But yeah, I didn't yeah. do anything. Yeah, super. But from that that day, I still, I'm always just. Like, my husband's always like, look at you asking for help, or look at you going mm-hmm. talking to, you know, a salesperson or something. It's, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I still stick, I stick that. That's, mm-hmm. like, stuck in my head, and I still try to practice that all the time. Just go ask. <laughs> yeah, that actually makes you think, how did you get over the anxiety of being a keynote speaker and talking about all this stuff? Like, that, Ooh, it, I, I think public speaking is... That's top of fears for most oh, people. Yeah. You're doing it there. You're doing like super podcast, vulnerable like, public speaking too. You're not yeah. like giving a tech presentation. So or this something. is being probably partly why it's so impactful is your the willingness and courage to talk about this when people are terrified. So yeah, I again, I don't know. I think Doctor uh, Doctor Leva had said maybe you want to speak at this thing, and I did not realize it was a keynote. <laughs> so I was like, oh, wait a second, the keynote. Um, so I, you know, started planning and like Googling what's a keynote address. And, and I was terrified. And, you know, I, this is like multiple drafts that I went through of this, what the end product. And I was keeping a, a little, journal and just writing stuff down and half of it didn't even end up in the speech but I don't there was I was listening to a podcast or watching a movie or something and somebody was saying like you know just just that this is the only chance you get just do it and so I thought well 
I'm probably never going to have an opportunity to be a keynote speaker at a conference. So let's just lay everything on the table. Let's just tell the story, the truth of it, the ugliness of it. And hopefully it works. (laughs) And I mean, the day before the speech, I was doing yoga and the whole time my brain is like spinning. Like, what if this is terrible? Anticipatory anxiety, sure. What if this isn't right? What if I scare everyone? What if nobody in the room has this form of OCD? And (laughs) I am just... And OCD comes. Yeah, I know. (laughs) So I I was just like, this is your only chance. You know, it's like what you got to... Shoot your shot. Was that from mm-hmm. Hamilton? I think you got to shoot your shot. This is the only chance you get. Just do it. Um, and I get there and I'm petrified. But right before I spoke, um, some clients of one of the other um, therapists um, wanted to briefly talk about their experience. And the first uh, young man who got up there was talking about uh, his relationship OCD and how mm-hmm. that made him feel. And then I was like, oh, okay. So once they talked and they were, you know, explaining what they went through, I thought, then I'm okay. Uh I can do this. They're going to get it? Yeah, they're going to get it. But if they hadn't gone up first, I don't know how I would have felt. But, yeah, as soon as I heard those two people speak, it was like, I was like, okay. The burden lived off of me. I felt lighter. And I was like, this is going to be okay. And then once I started speaking, there was a woman who was sobbing mm-hmm. in the second row, and I was immediately like, "What have I done? This is a mistake." Oh, you thought he was sobbing I, for like a bad reason? Yeah, like um, that. This was a mistake. I should not have said this. I'm already just people want to leave, and actually, she came up after after I was done, and she was crying because um, her son experiences OCD, and she was saying that. Um, what I had said had helped her understand him more mm-hmm. and that's why she was crying mm-hmm. not because I was terrible <laughs> yeah. what I was saying was awful but that she finally had a window into her son's struggle so you, your story fostered a connection yeah Yeah. well I think it also speaks to the power of secrets right yeah. like that even just you know talking about the molestation with a the therapist and then talking about yeah. this that felt like, oh my gosh this is even a step worse with another therapist yeah. like it they lose so much of their power when you can open up about it and then to like yeah not have people respond how anxiety predicts they will respond or yeah people even say like yeah me too you know oh, so many people mm-hmm. came up to me that day mm-hmm. I mean saying I have the same thing and that I did not expect that I mean it was really person after person um, or parents saying, my son or my daughter is going through that exact same kind of thoughts. And I really thought, like, no, this is, like, one of those weird forms of OCD that not many people have, but a lot of people do. And a lot of people in that room did. And they were telling me, like, you know, they said it in whispers or, like, mm-hmm. I have the same kind of thing. They didn't want to say the words, and I'm like, I get that. But I had no idea. So it was also, for me, it's like, oh, I really am not alone. This really is something that a lot of people struggle with. And we feel so ashamed and ostracized in a weird way. like Because it's not talked about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's a huge piece, too, of why we even wanted to do a podcast in yeah. general, was because yeah. not a lot of people have 
access to yeah. like appropriate treatment for this. We did one on um, postpartum OCD and like yeah, same kind of thing of just like increasing awareness so people don't feel like I am you know, strange yeah. in some way or there's something wrong with me or I'm the only one who feels this way or thinks this. So, and, and also like just even within the OCD, like that, that model of if you do what the OCD wants, it gets stronger. Yeah. And what it wants is for you not to tell anybody. Yeah. You to hide it and fight and avoid and escape and yeah. sort of turn around and walk toward it. Yeah. Toward it into it. You know, that's taking some of the the power away. It's yeah. changing that power dynamic. And I'm curious, like do you having done that, does it feel different? Oh yeah. Yeah. Like that is one thing that I didn't expect, but I'm so much more like I'm not ashamed at all anymore and I realized like up until the day I gave that speech that I would say you know I have OCD but I would never get into I would just say it's you know weird thoughts Mm -hmm. but then now that I've basically spilled all of these secrets to so many people I am just like not ashamed and I know that some people are not going to understand it some people may say that I am you know, a pervert, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> I just don't care anymore because I didn't choose to have this. And it's just something, it's just a weird thing that brains do. And a lot of people struggle with it. And I just, I'm not ashamed. It's just, that's just my brain. And yeah, it sucks. <laughs> I don't like it, but I can't change it. And, and I know that it's, it's not who I am. I am a full person who happens to have a brain that struggles with OCD. So, yeah. I'm yeah. just not embarrassed or ashamed anymore. Love yeah. it. <laughs> That's, oh, yeah. It's, like, so cool. Aww. It really yeah, is. It is. Right, because we always talk about, like, the problem is not the thoughts. It's the meaning-making yeah. of the thoughts. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like, yeah, you've really changed a lot of the meaning of the thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I, again, it doesn't go away. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's what was my goal is like, let's get this to yes. go away, and it doesn't go away, and it's still here. And there are some weeks where it's harder totally. than others, and I just, you know, even my husband's like, well, what are you doing? What, what, what you know, remember what your doctor told you? And mm-hmm. so, you know, we have like a whole house now that's like, did you journal? Did you try exposures? Did, have you been meditating? Like it's, mm-hmm. you know, we all kind of check in with one another. <laughs> that way yeah it's and and I also know like okay this is a rough week next week will be better um and knowing that it's you know when I was stuck on one thought in particular I know that you know the the old habits are still there you want to check you want to ruminate you want to dissect you want to do all those things and yeah so it's you know, it's not like, oh, I'm so perfect, you guys. I never take the bait. Sure. It's like, no, I do take the bait a lot. And I have to pull back out of it and say, what am I doing right now? What is what is going on? Is this helpful? You know it's not helpful. And reframing and, you know, refocusing my attention, which is something we did in group a lot. I noticed you put in that plug for metacognitive I had to it's getting so big now well I mean especially after ACT was mentioned you know metacognitive has to get mentioned (laughs) I love it that's so great 
Well, um, and I want to say, like, did, like, Dr. Leva, like, test you on all these terms? Like, you're no. amazing. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> That's my own research. Like, I, I was... Yeah, I felt like I was in college again. Like, no, I'm doing say. so much research to just, yeah. you I know. Like, I need to educate my clients more, like, day to day, and, like, what specific, like, work we're doing right now. I'm like, wow. You know, I mean, we we did mention phrases, and I went back through my notes that we had, because I kept all my notes. Um, and, you know, I really did a lot of research for this speech, mm-hmm. just, you know, pulling up my books yeah. and my notes and things that Dr. Leva had given me, and... Um, I was like, what is, what am I doing? (laughs) I really did feel like like I was back in grad school, like compiling all of these sources to make this one speech or this one paper. But it was also a lot of fun to write this. And um, well, you're clearly an excellent writer too. Thanks. Yeah. (laughs) Any, since we're about to stop here, any like advice for people who are listening? Like, I mean, obviously there's there's a whole lot. There's tons. Yeah. Built into what you said, but and. Anything else you'd want to tell people, assuming that you've got their ear right now? Well, I I think the one thing that that really helped me was to just keep doing the homework that you get, even if it doesn't make sense. Because, um, like I said, it took me two years before things really started to click. Mm-hmm. And it was two years of just like, I don't know, I guess I'll do this homework that I have been assigned. Mm-hmm. Um and I know that everyone can't really, you know, afford a therapist, but um, finding really good resources. Um, there's some really good workbooks out there. Um, just trying. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know that there's any one thing that I did specifically that got me here other than just showing up and trying to do the work. And some days I didn't do great, but I did it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't know. I tell people like when when we first start working together, I said from my experience, the two the two factors that are most likely to lead to like good outcome is um, saying a lot of words to me mm-hmm. and doing the homework. Yeah. Yeah, that saying the words too. Yeah. Because yeah, you can know what somebody's Sure. Yeah. It's de- the detective work can be easier if like yeah. you know what you're working with. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, if you have a really good therapist, they, they're going to kind of sometimes know. <laughs> they, like, Dr. Leib is really good at, like, reading my mind. And I'm like, how do you do that? But once I, cons- once I fully said all the things that I was dealing with, it's like I could finally tackle it. I wasn't running from the intrusive thoughts. I wasn't hinting around it. I finally said, these are the kinds of thoughts I have. And so I could get to work on that. And that made a world of difference. And, like, there's stuff that still comes up now that I'm like, oh, I should probably talk about that with Dr. Leva, you know? Like, um, you know, because OCD is weird in that it kind of shifts around Mm -hmm. a little bit. And you're like, oh, yeah. 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 But it's, you know, and it's something new or something that had, you know, there's focus on different kinds, different things in your head. So now this thing has actually been there the whole time and it's creeping up and, you know, so there's always new things that I can work on. I guess also just knowing that I thought there would be like an end point to this, that one day I'm like, I'm good, I don't need therapy anymore. But I am realizing that this is just a lifelong journey and where I am two years from now, I may be 
back in the same dark spot. I mean, it's possible. Um, you know, not really probable with all the, the work and the help that I have, but, it, I mean, it's it's not something that just disappears, and I just have to keep working and, and just managing it the best I can. Um, and that's, that's really it. And, and I'm okay with it. <laughs> Being okay with the journey and the questions. And, journey, you know. yeah. It's a good way to put it, I think. Yeah. Well, I don't think we can thank you enough. No, oh, thank enough. you guys for I mean, having yeah, me. This was really nice. Life. Great work. Um, and yes, I'm sure our next one will never be able to tell this. Like, <laughs> yeah. how, do we, how do we come up with another? It's, it's, we'll just we'll cancel. Yes. <laughs> just the end of it. Yeah. Next it's week we're all talking done. about, like, <laughs> I don't know. It's something super basic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah thank, thanks so much for coming on. Oh, and being, thank you being, for having me. Yeah. This. This, this is very nice. Thank you so much. Yeah. And keep your questions coming. Yeah. To, I never remember my email address, Marianne, I it's, think. It's your name. It's not difficult to remember. <laughs> I'll say mine first. Yeah. Thomas at anxietyaustin.com. Okay. That's, yeah. Yeah. Email us. Thanks for listening. Yeah. We'll thanks see you next for time. Listening. <laughs>